I grew up with two serial killers. Uh, one of them was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and the other one was the railroad killer, Angel Resendez. Um, I started using drugs when I was eight years old. And all of a sudden, they put some things on my chest, and they said, clear, 300, clear. She said, okay, goodbye, Mr. Lawrence. And she yanked that ventilator out of me. I wrote down, am I going to a room with a bigger TV? And she said, no, I don't think so. I th I, I don't think that where you're going, they have big TVs. <laughs> so I said, okay. Here's a quote from a movie. There's no escaping reason, no denying purpose. For as we both know, without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us, purpose that connects us, purpose that pulls us, that guides us, that drives us. It is purpose that defines us, purpose that binds us." End quote. So why were you created? When you look back over your life, do you see purpose? Do you see meaning? Has God saved you from anything? These are the really deep questions that I want to ask our guest today. I'm Eric Hutchinson. Welcome to the If Nothing Changes podcast. I'm really excited to talk with our guest today. And uh, so let's get into it, shall we? So, hey, friend, how are you? And why don't you introduce yourself and tell the listeners who you are and where you're from? I'm Ronnie Joe Lawrence, and I've been here in Arkansas for the past 15 years, and I live in Centerton, Arkansas. Well, welcome. Glad to have you here today. So, Ronnie Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your past as far as like where you're from. Tell us a little bit about your family, your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters. So tell us a little bit about Ronnie Joe growing up. I, have a, I had a great mother and father who really cared for us and provided for us. I have uh, uh, two brothers, well, total of three, but one passed away, and right. I have one sister. My father was a mechanic for Texaco, and my mother used to work at a restaurant. And so were you the youngest or the I, oldest? Or I, the... W I was the second to the eldest. So what was it like? Did you guys stay in El Paso uh, until what age? I mean, you, so you were born in El Paso, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I was born in El Paso, but lived the first five years of my life, we lived in Juarez, Mexico. Okay. So what was it like living in Mexico? Well, it's a lot of poverty. Yeah. It was a lot of poverty. I really didn't like it there. Um, we, we moved to El Paso when I was five years old. So you were in elementary school. What were some of the things that happened to you in elementary school? Anything well, that you can remember? There was a lot of fighting all the time. Uh, I fought all through my elementary. Growing up in El Paso, Texas was really hard. I grew up in the projects, a lot of gang members and a lot of drugs. I mean, the projects were infested with drugs. I grew up with two serial killers. Uh, one of them was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and the other one was the railroad killer, Angel Resendez. Wow. They are both dead now. That sounds like a really evil... Uh, association. It sounds like that you had a lot of bad stuff that you were growing up with. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, I started using drugs when I was eight years old. Wow. How did that happen? I mean, your parents probably didn't bring that in. Was that from friends or how did that happen? Hanging around the wrong crowd at a very young age. 
So at what point, so you're in elementary school, you start getting up into junior high. So did it continue to escalate the, the drug abuse and, and the violence? Yes, the drug abuse uh, continued because I went from uh, alcohol, marijuana, into using LSD, cocaine, and pills. So how does a youth that young get a hold of those hard drugs? I mean, it costs money. So, I mean, how did they try to get you hooked so that you'll sell it? Or how does that work? Well, no, uh, I was actually the one selling them. Mm. So did you finish high school or did you uh, or did you not? I did not finish high school, but okay. I did get a GED. So why did you drop out of high school? Was it the drugs and stuff? I mean, when you became, I guess, a certain age, you didn't have to go or something? Well, first of all, I hardly ever went to high school. Mm. You know, the truant officer was always after me. <laughs> so uh, so you didn't go to school, so, so they were after you that way. Yeah, yeah. I decided to make it easy for him and just yeah. drop out and get a GED. So in El Paso, Texas, uh, growing up, were gangs a big thing there? Gangs have, all, gangs have always been a big thing there. Okay. So yeah. when when was your first experience with a gang? How old were you? Well, I was about eight years old when I joined my first gang. So eight years old, that's when your drug use started. That's when you got into a gang. And so um, did, did the gang kind of become your family uh, at, at a certain point? Yes, they, they did. When I was in high school, I probably could have counted 30 different kind of gangs in, in high school. Wow. And also, um, I, I being around all these gangs, I wind up getting shot by a different gang with a 357. So how old were you when you got shot? I was 16. So what happened? Um, you're at that age. You're at 16. You're heavily involved in the gangs. You're not going to school. Uh, you know, you basically drop out whenever you're probably 18 or whenever you're legally able to drop out of there. So did you have a job at all or was it just the, the drug selling? I did. I, I, I helped out at my father's, my father's Texaco where he worked. Right. I was a, a service station attendant. I used to check their oil, clean their windows, air up their tires. Yeah. Uh, did you have any exposure to God from your family or from other friends or, or family at all or not? Well, no, not really. Not really? Not really. Did no. you even believe that there was a God at that time? Uh, no. No. I, 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 it, I never knew about God till I, I was... 48 years old. 48. So did you get married before you, uh, before 48? I mean, tell me, yes. tell me as you got to a young adult, and uh, did you get married? Did you get married more than once? What, what was the story there at a, well, as a young adult? I did get married, um, and I, I had a, I have a daughter and a son by my first wife. So did you stay married or did, was there a split up there? How, when did that happen? Yeah, there was a split up. Okay. Yeah. So did your did your I got divorced? Okay, got divorced. I went uh, through a divorce in 1991, right before going to prison. Okay. So uh, you when you were in El Paso, so I'm just trying to piece together the timeline here. So when you were in El Paso and you got you had kids by the time you were 23, was it after that time period that you spent some time in jail? And what and what was the the charge? What what sent you to jail? Well, I went I went to prison for possession of marijuana. Okay. So how long did you spend in jail? I got out in 1997 and went in 1991. So you went through, you know, your your 
adolescent years, you spent eight years in prison when you got out. So I'm assuming your divorce happened either before you got in. Before I went to prison. Okay. So it happened before you in prison, you're in prison. So whenever you got out, um, did you go right back into the same lifestyle that you did before, or did you try to make a change? No, I went right back to the same thing I was doing. Okay. I didn't quite get rehabilitated. (laughs) (laughs) So at what point uh, and why did you decide? So you're 48 years old. um, You've had more experience with evil and bad things than most people experience in a lifetime or ever at all. So what made you decide to move out of um, El Paso? Well, my mother got killed. Okay. That's where my life turned around. Okay, so let me stop you there. So you, uh, so I mentioned, asked you earlier if you had any kind of really experience with God as a youth, and you said no. So when when did that experience happen? Was it whenever your mom passed away? And why don't you walk me through that experience? Yes, um, um, me and my mo- me and my mother had a good relationship, and I think that that's what her death really hit me hard. You know, and that's what made me turn my life around. Because the day that I got a call that she had, she was in the hospital. I had been doing cocaine for three days, and um, they needed me to go make a life and death decision. Um, and I wasn't able, because I had been up for so many days. And when I went the next day, um, I was there with my brother, and my sister. And they wanted me to take her off life support. I couldn't take her off life support. That was a very hard decision. I couldn't do it. So my brother didn't do it. My sister didn't do it. We went back home. Hour or so later, they called us from the hospital and told us she had had a heart attack and she passed away. Wow. So did you have any concept of after someone passes away, what did you believe um, happened to someone who died? Well, I didn't know because I didn't know Christ then. Okay. You know, um, it's, I didn't know what to think about that. So what part, I mean, after her death, what was your experience with God? How did that come about? Well, I decided that I needed to have a change. I didn't know how to find that change. I didn't know where to turn to, what to do. But there was this man that... um, I threatened one day to kill him if he told me anything about Jesus. And uh, one day when I was going in the house, he asked me what's going on, and I told him about my mother passing away. And he told me that I could find hope in Jesus. Jesus could help me with my grief and with whatever I'd be going through. And he asked me if I knew him, and I said no. And he said do you, have you been in a church? I said, no. And he said, you know what? If you accept Christ into your life, Christ is going to help you. And Christ is going to change your life. And Christ has changed my life. So did you believe him whenever he told you that? I had no choice. I did believe him. And I actually went out looking for a church. And I I came across a, a street that said, Cristo, Cristo viene, which means Christ is coming. So I said, so this is, this is a sign of God. This is where I'll turn. And as I went 
down the road, there was a church, and it said, the Iglesia del Dios Vivo, the Church of the Living Christ. And up to this day, I still carry that card that has the name of the street and, and the name of the church. And I went in there not knowing what to expect. <laughs> and what happened when you went in there? Well, I went in there, I sat down, and all of a sudden the music starts. People start running. They go down the aisles to the front. And people start blowing horns and there's pom-poms and the pastor's touching people in their forehead. People are falling down. And I said, oh, my God, I got a drug problem. These people got a problem, too. <laughs> you know? so, so what happened after that? I mean, what, did you decide to go back there, or how did that uh, guide you to God? Well, I did. I kept going there for about a week. And, you know, uh, I went, well, actually, I went for two weeks to that church. And after that, um, I decided that I was going to go to another church where I met a pastor in, in, in jail. And he told me about his church. He told me, you know what, come visit me. And I went over there, visit him. I actually got baptized and decided that I would come to Arkansas. So why Arkansas? Because my brother and sister were here. And I decided that this is where I'll try to change my life. So did you get on a plane or did you drive? I actually got on the Greyhound. <laughs> Greyhound bus. <laughs> I did. And I went all the way to Oklahoma City. I got off in Oklahoma City. And I visited with my cousins. I told them that I wanted to change my life. And then I flew into Arkansas. Okay. So you flew into Arkansas. Did you live with your brother or what did, I mean, how did you, how did you survive here? Well, my sister actually uh, was living in, in New Hampshire and she decided she was going to come to Arkansas and, um, and she asked me if I wanted to live with her. So that's why I came. And there's a, another story that goes along with that because, um, in 2000, around 2006, we were, me and my dad were driving through here, and I remember being drunk and high on cocaine, and I passed through Cross Church, and I turned around, and I looked at the crosses, and I said, I've never seen crosses so big ever in my life. Well, needless to say, when I got here, my sister said, I've already picked a church for us. We, she, we, she got an uh, apartment at the, at the Pinnacle Ranch Apartments, and on Sunday, when we were going to church, I said, Ivan, you're not going to believe this, but 2006, I was passing through here. I turned around and looked at the crosses, and I can't believe that God has me here now sober. Wow. And I've been going to Cross Church for 15 years. That's, that's the reason I've been coming to Cross Church. Wow. That's amazing that God steered you through that way to your path. That was, that's incredible. So you moved here, you live in with your sister, right? So um, what was your next experience with God? So you started going to cross church, right? Now we're now this time now you've been, you told me that you were hooked on drugs back in El Paso and that you were doing that for us. Were you still involved in drugs here in Northwest Arkansas? No. Okay. Once I came to uh, Arkansas, there was no more drugs. There was no more nothing. I decided because on Friday, it was on, on um, in 2008, it was April 7th. I walked in through the, in, 
through the doors of Celebrate Recovery, which is a recovery program that my brother told me about. I walked in through those doors, and um, and I I found out that that uh, everybody there had problems, so I fit in just right with it, you know. Yeah. So your brother found out about it or knew about it, and he invited you to it. But you were living with your sister, is yeah. That correct, right? That's correct. And okay. So and then on Sunday I went to uh, Cross Church. That's when I I told her about the experience I have had with Cross Church. And I've been going to both uh, Celebrate Recovery for 15 years and Cross Church for 15 years. So tell me about Celebrate Recovery a little bit. So you went to Celebrate Recovery. Um, so I know that they introduced themselves in a, in a special way there. So how do you introduce yourself at Celebrate Recovery? I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with cocaine addiction, gang affiliation, food issues, and codependency, and my name is Ronnie Joe. Oh, I love that. So Ronnie Joe, walk me through a little bit of your experience the first year at Celebrate Recovery. What uh, things were you able to find out about yourself, and uh, and how was God able to deliver you from those things? Well, I think that because of Celebrate Recovery and Jesus Christ, I was able to surrender my addictions. I had a 36-year cocaine addiction. I drank beer every day, and I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. And when I walked in, in those doors and I accepted Christ in my, in my life, I said, I will no longer use cocaine. I will no longer uh, smoke cigarettes, and I will no longer drink beer. God, if you only help me regain my family again. Wow. So tell me about that. How did you regain your family again? Well, it took a lot of hard work because they did not believe me. They, were, they, had, they wanted nothing to do with me because of my past. And I had promised so many times to change my life, and I kept going back to the same old thing. So there was no hope for me. But when I came to Celebrate Recovery, I found the hope. I found people that were struggling like me. I found people that believed in me. So looking back over your life and looking back, can you see that God was steering you in the right direction? Yes. I found out that that's where God wanted me to be. And I know that God was steering me in the right direction. Wow. So I will. you've told me bits and pieces of your story before, and I wanted you to share with the listeners. So you've had uh, several bouts with death, where de- death was knocking at the door. So why don't you go through and, and share a few of those experiences? Well, on, on one of them, um, I had been using cocaine for about a week, and I mean, my heart was pumping so hard that it looked like my heart was going to bounce out of my shirt. And um, actually, I told my mother that something was going on with me, and and uh, she, her and my sister drove me to the doctor's hand, which was a, like an urgent care. Right there, the doctor said, you know what, call EMS. He's not going to make it. And as they were driving me to the hospital, I remember that I stopped breathing, and they said, we're on route with a 28-year-old male. And he has flatlined. And I could hear what they were saying, but I didn't know. I, I, I couldn't do anything. And I remember them just tearing my shirt. 
And all of a sudden, they put some things on my chest, and they said, clear, 300, clear. And then they said, 400, clear. And then they kept calling out numbers, clear. And on the third one, they said, if he doesn't come back, we got to let him go. And I, I remember hearing everything. That was, my, that was one of them. And I, the other one was when they shot me. They, when they shot me in the leg, it hit an artery. I was bleeding to death. And the other one was when I got broadsided and 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 I um I my my leg was um my bones and my my leg were messed up from that wreck. I wind up getting gangrene and I was in the hospital and I remember when when I got to the hospital I um I told my I told them that I wanted to sign a waiver. Do not resuscitate. So after after a while, um, my sister left to go tell my brother that I was in the hospital. And when I was there, all of a sudden, the gangrene started taking over my body. My body became septic. My kidneys stopped. My liver shut down. And I stopped breathing. Next thing I know, that they stuck a ventilator down my throat. I remember uh, waking up three days later, and um, I had I, when I first got there, I had asked the nurse, "Do you think I can get a room with a bigger TV?" And she says, "Well, no. Uh, people in IC, in the ICU do not get to uh, see very much TV." And I said, "Okay, so." Next thing I know is that I see everybody coming to visit me, my family, and a whole bunch of other people came to say goodbye to me. I did not know why they were all saying goodbye. Well, the last person that I talked to was my sister, and she says, where do you want to be buried? And in El Paso with mom and dad or, or here? And I, I couldn't, I couldn't. Uh, speak so because I had a ventilator and I wrote on a card with mom and dad. Then she asked me, "Do you want a casket or do you want to be cremated?" And I wrote on the card, "Surprise me." <laughs> At that point, it really didn't matter. <laughs> after that, after everybody left, the nurse came in and she told me, "Okay, Mr. Lawrence, it's time. It's time to say goodbye." And at that time, I, I thought I was going to a room with a bigger TV, and I said, am I going to a room with a... I wrote down, am I going to a room with a bigger TV? And she said, no, I don't think so. I, th I, I don't think that where you're going, they have big TVs. <laughs> so I said, okay. And then she said, okay, goodbye, Mr. Lawrence. And she yanked that ventilator out of me. And then I knew why they had tied my hands. I mean, I was struggling and struggling, trying to get my breath. I couldn't breathe, and it felt like an eternity. I felt like it could have uh, it could have been ten seconds that I couldn't breathe. Twenty seconds. It could have been three minutes. I don't know. I just know that for me, it was an eternity. And all of a sudden, I felt God breathe into me. And all of a sudden, I I started breathing on my own, and I I started looking at the little bitty TV. Fifteen minutes later, the nurse came back in and says, "Oh my God, you're still alive!" 
And she ran back out of the, uh, closed the curtain, ran back out of there and said, you're not going to believe this, Dr. Morrison, but he's up there watching TV. <laughs> so he came back and said, boy, you fooled us all. <laughs> and God fooled them all, didn't he? He, he did. <laughs> wow, that is an amazing story. So, but God had different plans for me. So tell me about those plans. What? How has God brought meaning to your life, and what are you doing uh, that's living within that purpose? Well, I love sharing the, the gospel with everybody. And every morning I get up and I send out nine scriptures a day to 170 people, and I send them out one at a time. Wow. I don't share, send them in groups, one at a time. And it takes me three and a half hours every day to get them all sent out. And they go all over the world. They go to the Philippines, they're going to Dubai, I mean, Berlin, you know. So, these, so I'm one of those people. And you're one of those people. <laughs> and and you, you can rest assured that I think of each and every one of those persons every day because I know them all by, by name and I send them all out by name. Ron and Joe, I can't tell you how much it blesses me to see your name come across my phone saying that, you know, and I look at those scriptures and I know that you've prayed for me. I know that you've sent those to me to encourage me and they encourage me. And I know they encourage the rest of those people as well. And so that's amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Eric. Amazing. So Ron and Joe, uh, this is a podcast and uh, this podcast is going to be listened by hundreds of people. And there may be someone that's listening that's thinking, my life has no purpose. I'm in the middle of whether it may be drug abuse or maybe they're going through their divorce or maybe uh, they have witnessed some horrible things as you've witnessed some horrible things. Maybe a tragedy has happened in their life. What would you tell the person that says their life has no meaning and why should they go on? Well... All I have to do is turn around and look at my life and everything that I went through. And I know that if there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. Ron and Joe, thanks for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you feel that your life has no meaning and has no purpose, that's a lie straight from the belly of hell. Your life does have purpose, and God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Maybe you have tried to make your life go a certain direction, and it has not turned out well for you. Proverbs 16, 9 says that we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Maybe you need to go in a different direction. Maybe you need change in your life. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. We'll see you next time.